Would you pray with me? Open our ears and our hearts and our minds this morning, O God, to your word, that for such a time as this, we may be moved to work in your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. When the Stewardship Committee considered a list of themes for the 2022 stewardship campaign, for such a time as this, seemed to leap off the page. We all quickly agreed that the words capture something true about this time in history and ask what is the church's role in serving the world at this time. For such a time as this is a familiar line from scripture, I trust, but do people know the context of the larger Esther story? In the Beale household, we are fond of the story of Esther because my husband Tim did his doctoral dissertation in Hebrew Bible on the book of Esther. So we heard about Esther for a number of years there. And the first book he published was his dissertation, and it's a good read, I might add, both Esther and Tim's book. The book of Esther is a drama full of intrigue, suspense, violence, and complicated relationships. It is especially worth noting, God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. And maybe that's why the story of Esther barely makes it into the Christian lectionary. It doesn't get much airtime in the pulpit. Esther is celebrated, however, annually by the, in the Jewish tradition on the holiday of Purim. It's an ancient story of an attempted state genocide of all the Jewish people in the country of Persia. Esther is not only a beautiful young queen of Persia, but unbeknownst to her husband, King Ahasuerus, she is Jewish. And Esther's name means to hide. Esther is in a predicament, to say the least, when the king's decision is made to annihilate the Jewish people. One night, as the day of the massacre approaches, Esther's cousin and godfather, Mordecai, himself a Jew, approaches her in secret to convince her that she cannot continue to hide her identity. Her people are at risk under the genocidal edict. He makes clear the young queen is the only one with the resources and the powers to save them. Though reticent and afraid, Esther finally concedes when Mordecai poses the future-changing question. Who knows, he says. Perhaps you've been placed here for such a time as this. Now, I'm not going to give away what happens next. It's only barely 10 chapters, so you need to read it. It has a surprise ending, so go home and read it. It'd be great. 
So why did the story of Mordecai and Esther move the hearts of the stewardship team? What does the story have to do with the chaotic world in which we live right now? And how does this story shape the church's call for generosity to minister to this world at such a time as this? Two straightforward themes emerge from Esther's story. One, we are called to utilize the gifts and resources we possess for the greater good. And two, offering our gifts and resources requires faithful risk-taking. It's never easy to sacrifice one's own comfort so that others may live more comfortably. It's much easier to ignore or avoid or deny the suffering around us. We even make up stories uh, to ourselves as to why we aren't capable to impact change. But God has a very different view of things. Have you had the experience of saying yes to a committee or a board position or taken a new job and soon after you started in your new role, it became clear that you were there for a reason? Perhaps the work required your particular gifts and talents for a particular time. I've witnessed this situation over and over in church communities. Bless their hearts, a well-meaning, unsuspecting member agrees to serve as an elder or a deacon and thinks they're going to keep a low profile. But then a challenge emerges that calls them out to deploy their gifts, their God-given gifts, to work on a solution. Esther thought she'd be staying in hiding. But Mordecai was a relentless messenger, challenging her to step out of the shadows, to see her people's safety depended upon her and her power and her privilege and the courage she'd been given. I first interviewed for this cool church in Denver to be one of its co-pastors. It, it really is this one, in case you wondered. Just in case you wondered. In the spring of 2015, if I then could have seen the future, that it wouldn't be long before I started that we'd be discerning um, to restore this building or not, this beautiful historic building, and that we'd have to raise $8 million or so to do it, I would have said, no thanks. <laughs> or if someone would have told me that I'd be on a senior leadership team navigating a 1,500-member church through a global pandemic, all the while restoring said building, <laughs> I would have avoided eye contact with God. <laughs> now, thankfully, I did not know all those things before I felt the call to come to Montview. God calls forth our gifts and skills and naivete and courage and idealism when they're necessary for the health of the body. A friend reminded me when I was feeling overwhelmed, 
it seems like you were called to a church like this for such a time as this. Perhaps you've been placed in this church for such a time as this. Like Esther, maybe, just maybe, Providence has led you here to help us be the church together. In a world that prioritizes I over we, the church at its best models a different way, a different way to live. After the profound isolation and loneliness we endured, have endured over the months, the church is set up to foster meaningful connections. This church is proficient at talking and laughing and shedding tears and smiling warmly, even through masks. We've got that down. As church, we strive to go deeper, deeper than the world's tendency to live on the surface. We seek to ask meaning questions. We strive to work together to find answers to hard questions, or at the very least, not to give easy answers. As a church, we teach our children and our teenagers the values of compassion and justice and love for the outsider. And our children teach us how to express wonder and beauty at the creation and help us not to take ourselves too seriously. As a church, we practice being an intergenerational neighborhood of kindness and care. A young person told me recently that she is so glad her parents are raising her at Montview because it's the only place she gets to be around people of all ages. Right? Think about that. We get divvied up by ages all the time. And it's essential to have children, I say, collide, but maybe feel loved and love grandparents who are not their grandparents. At this church, we've made a courageous commitment to face the history of the sin of racism. And we are committed to educate ourselves around the unjust systems that continue unfairly to impact some people over others. The leadership of this church has made anti-racism work one of our strategic priorities. And this is difficult, heart-transforming work. But these efforts have to be sustained. Nothing will change when we're in that cycle of, wow, that was really hard, that was awful, and then we get distracted by life's demands until the next violent crisis happens. As church, we have no option but to do this work with grace and generosity of spirit toward one another, with giving each other the benefit of the doubt that we are not competitors, we are companions on a journey of self-awareness. Now this might be the best thing about being church. 
we provide one hour each Sunday, maybe the only hour you'll have in your week, to sit still, guilt-free, and there's childcare, <laughs> free. This is a time in which you will be encouraged to be aware of something larger than yourself and your family. Each time you sit quietly in this place, you're given permission to listen to music that's not on your playlist, to pray, to hear sacred texts read and preached, to taste bread that is broken and blessed and given for you, and simply to greet each other with cheerful hearts. These are gifts and radical practices that say no to an efficiency and expedient, profit-obsessed culture. I've said it before because I believe it in my bones, and I'll keep saying it. Being church is peculiar to the world. The rituals and the liturgical practices and the language we use do not make sense to those who do not practice them. And yet all of these that I've mentioned transform us like the way water drops on a stone over a long time and the stone gets transformed. And the world benefits because hearts transformed transform the world. In the fall of 2020, Ian and I chose the theme, so this is the fall of 2020, we chose the theme, a year of wonder, looking ahead, a year. Get that? That's hilarious. <laughs> wonder is exactly what we're being taught. We are not in control. So in the spirit of wondering, we trust that the Holy Spirit is working. I wonder what the Holy Spirit is doing now. I wonder how we can be even more faithful with all we've been given, time, talent, treasure, gifts, and graces to fulfill God's call for such a time as this. I wonder what risks we're being called to take. I wonder what work is yours to do. I wonder what work is ours to do. I wonder where we each will find the courage to be faithful together. I wonder for such a time as this. Thanks be to God. Amen.